You're listening to the Trust Issues Podcast. I'm David Puner, a Senior Editorial Manager at CyberArk, the global leader in identity security. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Trust Issues. Today's guest is Den Jones, who's the CSO, Chief Security Officer at Banyan Security. And as his Twitter bio tells it, among other things, he's a large-scale zero-trust deliverer, which is part of his multifaceted charge at Banyan, a startup zero-trust network access solution and a CyberArk technology partner. Den's journey isn't what you call traditional. In addition to a stint as a postman in Scotland, which he'll dive into in just a bit, Den used to work in restaurants, and this work lit him up, in a good way. In fact, once he showed up to a dishwasher job interview as a teenager wearing a suit, he was that guy. And as he progressed to a variety of roles on the kitchen staff over time, he learned things that would eventually inform his CSO leadership approach, from how to put a menu together to the core of restaurant work, which is problem solving. And although there's plenty of preparation involved, it often comes down to reacting in real time to infinite twists and turns, putting out fires, real ones, being prepared for the unexpected, life lessons that, as you'll hear, have served him well in a career that's included a remarkable almost two-decade stop at Adobe, followed by a couple of years at Cisco before landing in his current CSO role with Banyan Security. And it's this background that frames my conversation with Den and his perch on the cyber front lines because, as you may have heard somewhere, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. Den Jones, Chief Security Officer at Banyan Security. Thank you very much for joining us here on Trust Issues. Appreciate it. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So to get right into it, you've been in your uh, chief security officer CSO role since November 2021. Give us a snapshot of how you've gotten to where you are today. Would love to uh, love to hear it. Yeah. So look, I was I was this little kid in Scotland. I grew up with you know not a lot of finances behind me. Um, I had a job as a postman walking around the streets of Scotland. And my buddy, he had lots of great music gear in his house. And I was I was round there visiting him and I asked him, like, how can you afford all this stuff? And he said, Hey, I'm an IT guy, I'm a, I'm at Sun Microsystems and you know, go go to college and get these qualifications and then you're set. So I instantly applied for college. So I've done some years there. I left, got a job, and then just really worked my way up. And um Eventually, I found myself contracting with Adobe, and then they moved me out to the U.S. in 2001. And I stayed with Adobe for about 19 years. I was doing all sorts of jobs, infrastructure and operations, and then security. And then eventually, I ran enterprise security for maybe my last six years at Adobe. And then in 2020, went to Cisco and ran enterprise security there, reporting to the CIO. And late, late 2021, I bumped into the Banyan guys. I had done some zero trust implementations, both at Adobe and Cisco, and they asked if I wanted to join, you know? And, and so my, my time is really spent about 
There, a percent of my time is on the internal IT and security in our customer zero program. And then the rest of it's evangelism. You know, I do stuff like this. I'm out talking to other CISOs and, you know, executives and stuff about their strategy. It's a really fun gig. And, and the, the Banyan team's really cool. I mean, I've, I've dealt with so many really stressful situations. You know, when I ran Adobe's, uh, I ran Adobe server team once and we had, we had thousands of servers. And every day one goes down. So you're in these emergency outage response calls like almost every day. I mean, I couldn't, I didn't have a life for like probably two years. Um, so yeah, there's times like that. So now, now I'm kind of hoping I'm reaping the rewards a little bit. I can chill for, I can chill for a minute. So before we go back to present day, um, you mentioned that you were a postman at one point prior to all of this. Did, did that prepare you for, for anything in your, in your world now? A postman in Scotland, you're four o'clock in the morning and it rains almost every day. And then and for four months of the year, it's freezing cold and the and the snow or the rain's hitting you in the face. So what it did do is it, it really prepared me for, you, you know when you've got something good, when you've had something bad, right? So I think we're all blessed in the tech industry because there are people that do jobs that are really gnarly and nasty. And our hardship is really how do we communicate and get along well and collaborate with others. So you're a you're a CSO, Chief Security Officer. Um, for those who aren't super familiar with your world or our world, and maybe for some who are, what's the difference between a uh, CSO and a CISO? Yeah, a great one. I wanted to be a CISO, a C-I-S-O, because in my career path, growing up through the IT and identity and all that, that's the path you think you're on. When I was at Adobe, my old boss, Brad Arkin, he he was CSO, Chief Security Officer. And his role, he's responsible for the product security, as well as the enterprise security, as well as the governance risk and compliances. So there's, there's a whole host of other things. When you're a CISO, traditionally you report to the, the CIO, and you're really focused on IT security. So when I was at Adobe and Cisco, I was responsible for enterprise security, which is really IT security. I didn't have the CISO title. Um, so I was really chasing the title, but I was also chasing my desire to run the whole thing myself, right? I wanna be in charge of the security program at the company. When I joined Banyan, um, the agreement with the co-founders was I'll be CSO, so anything security related, product security, enterprise security, uh, physical security, I have that as well. So, you know, so all the security stuff. So I think I think that's the bigger difference. One is really focused on IT security or enterprise security, and the other one is focused on that plus product and services and everything else. And in your time with Banyan now, what have your biggest challenges been and what are your biggest challenges that you're looking at in 2023? I think the biggest challenge has really been scraping budget together in a really small company that that has, you know, a huge market, but but we're not very well known in the market. So so from a sales perspective, it's a really hard fight, right? I, I don't want to be spending money on programs and things that I don't think really reduce the risk. 
in a company like Adobe or Cisco, you would go through like all these frameworks and go, right, what are we doing in vulnerability management? What are we doing here? What are we doing there? And you'd almost like create these big behemoth programs to, to kind of fight these areas, right? Well, a small company like Banyan is like, I, I've got a really small team. I've got a small audience. I mean, the, the company employee size is less than a hundred. Um, it's it's not a stressful or big challenge. I think the biggest thing is just money. Uh, and, and most CISOs I know, um, or most executives are always under pressure to, to reduce spend. So the pressure I'm under here is still way less than the pressure I was under at Cisco or Adobe. So for me, none of, none of, none of it's a stress really. Uh, you know, I worked for two companies where nation states were on our, on our backs all the time. Right. I mean, you're always, you'd always having them trying to attack you. Right. We're, we're a really small company. We're not really um, that much of, of a target, but our customers are a target, right? So I've got to make sure, my team has to make sure that we um, don't get used to attack our customers. So from my perspective, you know, that's the biggest thing, but it's a heck of a lot easier to educate you know, 50 to 100 people directly and work with them and look at their posture and be really squeaky on that stuff because I've got less people to worry about. Adobe, Adobe 40,000 plus, Cisco 110,000 plus, Banyan 75, <laughs> you know? So it's easier. It's just, you know, I've, I've been trained over the years and I've, I've had the experience over the years that I can step into this company and it's not it's not a hardship. There's there's nothing that anybody's been doing in Banyan that I haven't seen or experienced or dealt with before. So when you're looking at internal threats, the difference between a hundred people and forty thousand people, how does that change the way that you go about that internal security? We just launched DNS and URL filtering. So if it's not a, a site that's on our threat feed list then obviously you might still end up at that site and you might end up downloading some malware. A lot of people in our company are really aware of, of things like phishing attacks and we jump on Slack and we'll tell people and we'll share with people as things like that come in. Check the box compliance. And that's the stuff that I always think traditionally no one gives a crap and nobody listens to. My belief, and I learned this at DEF CON a number of years ago at the Social Engineering Village, um, they said, train people on your personal stuff, how you protect yourself and your family and your kids. And those principles you will bring back to work. Yep. So if I talk about data, I'm actually saying, hey, would you like to protect your money in your bank account? Would you like to protect your credit score? So the reality is, is you can kind of translate these things. It's always the basics. I mean... 80% of the attacks are focused on users and devices predominantly phishing in social engineering or credential theft. You had mentioned identity a bit earlier, and um, you had also written a, a blog post for the Banyan Security blog where you mentioned that the vast majority of breaches tie back to identity and that it makes sense to double down on the basics of identity and device hygiene. Why is identity security so important right now? 
Yeah, I'll break it down into a couple of areas, right? There's human identity, and then there's other accounts like service accounts, genetics. There's device identity, like our endpoints, but then also like servers. There's apps and identity related to apps. There's APIs, there's IoT. So when I say identity, I'm like all of that stuff, right? When you really look at all these breaches, the 80% of it is tied to social users clicking stuff. The biggest problem for the industry is, is the device and the user and all those identities Traditionally, enterprises would apply controls at the network level, firewalls, VPNs, stuff like that. Well, the problem is if, if more people are remote and more people are accessing cloud services than they are on-prem services, every application service we were bringing in, it was almost like cloud first, cloud first, cloud first. Our Zero Trust Enterprise Network project in Adobe 2017 was on the principle that rather than giving you VPN access, we're just gonna give you app layer access, no network level access, and only access the application you need based on your directory group membership. You're just doing the directory stuff, which you had to do anyway. And that all ties back to identity security where a dissolved perimeter mandates a modern zero trust approach. How do you personally deliver large scale zero trust? There's a lot of great people out there that are doing a lot of great work on this zero trust thing. And there's a lot of people pontificating and writing a lot of documents and not necessarily actually deployed or done a zero trust deployment. I wanted a cloud-based architecture that I could deliver zero trust against. And you're only coming into the network if you're accessing apps and services inside our network. What we had done before in our first run was you had to, as part of the auth workflow, come in and go via some on-premise infrastructure, even just before you go out to a cloud app. And then the next run was a little bit more expensive, but it was all cloud architecture, all scalable. And then when when I got Cisco, we we deployed Duo and their technology, um, and that that was a hundred and ten thousand people. And the scale and the speed of the deployment is literally your tolerance for pushing something out to people like an agent in in minutes or days if you want versus I want to go a little slower and just get feedback and take my time and you know you can you can do either or I'm I'm a little bit of a high risk taker sometimes I mean calculated risk but I don't have patience for something that takes very long how have you found the pros outweigh the cons when it comes to you know having a tolerance for for risk? I mean, Adobe, as as you can imagine, these guys are all about user experience, right? So Adobe's HR team and, and employee experience team had got together and they'd done a survey of all the employees and then determined that happy employees actually improve profit. What do we need to do to make our employees happy? or happier right and in the top 10 of things that they did not like logging in experience was one and vpning in was the other we already were hatching our zen kind of plan that'll take care of those two things so the speed of doing it if you can improve the employee experience and do that fast and improve security and reduce friction 
And you're not asking users to change their workflow, their behavior, or whatever they're doing. And you're not asking application teams to make changes to their apps. We done a pilot on our first run where we enabled anybody in the company, provided their device had the, the authentication certificate that we pushed our Zen certificate, and they had they were device managed, IT managed devices, and they had their antivirus software and blah, blah, blah. If they met our posture check, then they would automatically be routed and use our path and not require VPN to get to a lot of the internal apps. And they wouldn't see a username and password prompt. I think we enabled it for the 40,000 people within the first, you know, four months. That was a, a really plus moment for the team. This whole zero trust principle, if done right, you can really accelerate your business. That's really interesting. You've mentioned, you know, how big the team was at Adobe and you're in a, a different kind of situation now, smaller, smaller company, scrappy startup. We've talked quite a bit about the cyber talent gap, gap here on this podcast. What's your perspective on the cyber talent gap? And do you have any advice for people considering entering the field? And how do you handle building teams? And what are you looking for in, in candidates? Brilliant. Yeah. And and there, there definitely is a gap. I think um, with all the layoffs recently, then that gap is probably not going to be felt as, as big this year. But, but there definitely has been a gap of being asked to build a lot of teams, consolidate teams, reorganize. First thing I always look for is someone who has initiative, willing to work, willing to learn, and hungry. That's, that's it. Te technically, I'm looking for someone that has some technical chops, but if you don't have the technical chops that I'm looking for, and, and let's say you're junior in your career and you want to learn, I'll take that every day. I think of the skills gap and the skills shortage. I'm a huge fan of finding interns. Give, give me some hungry interns. For me, the early in career people, hungry. I expect technical savvy with everybody that gets in the team anyway. But if you, you don't have the hunger, if you don't have the desire to learn and grow, then you're pretty much useless it almost ties back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation about your time in kitchens and as a, and as a postman, just like all those kind of life experiences, whether they're directly applicable or not, it is in the end of the day about the candidate themselves and maybe not the actual skills or credentials in that moment. When I left college, um, I was only one out of 30 people in my class that got a job in IT. And that was scary because that was in the early 90s when this whole thing was just taken off, right? So my old boss and mentor, when he gave me the job, he basically said, I have 100 people that applied for the job. It came down to two candidates and it was me and this other person. And the other person was more qualified than I was. And he, he, was, he, was, he basically said to me, he's like, but you were just hungrier. He went, you came across as just hungry, willing to do whatever it takes to make this job work. It says it all. In our skills gap today, you know, talent, people that are trying to get jobs and stuff, you know, best foot forward and show how hungry and passionate you are about, you know, the, the opportunity that you're, you're chasing. What's the most important advice you've gotten in your career? 
my old boss, Salar, he said to me years and for years and years and years, he was like humility. I was not humble. I was arrogant. I was demanding and, you know, pretty aggressive. And, and because in my early years, that served me really well. You know, I was like, hey, I know what I want. I know what I'm chasing. When it became apparent, then you, you kind of learn very quickly that life doesn't revolve around you, right? So humility, I think, is one really important piece. Um, empathy, again, I didn't have much of that, if any. Um, so I learned, especially in my leadership career, how important those kind of things are. And then ultimately, you know, we are in a collaborative world where in order to get something done, it's not usually you work on your own and get something done. You know, generally you need to partner with other people. So communication for me is really, really huge. Um, I know I'm not the most technical in the world because my EQ and my communication and that side of my game is, is really good. So, so I'm like, well, the most technical people I know, they're not usually very good at that side. But for me, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty balanced technical and the EQ and all that stuff. So if I was, if I was someone who was highly technical, I would understand where my, my gaps are and try and partner with people that can fill my gaps. Right. Like any team, you know, it's not the I in team. Right. So it, for me, I know where my deficiencies are. I would always surround myself with people that had really great attention to detail. Cause I don't, it's not my, it's not my jam. I mean, if I have to, I can get detailed, but I, I, I'm not, that's not my, the thing that drives me. Right. So that thing for me has been really important over the years, finding other people that can be complementary to, to my, my deficiencies. Two more questions for you. We were talking in the pre-interview and we hit a nerve with the term sophisticated attack. <laughs> what do you love or hate about that particular term? At the end of the day, as a practitioner, we are paid to solve problems. And the problems generally is reduce the cyber risk or reduce the risk for the company, right? Now, sophisticated cyber attacks. I don't know about you, but when, when it starts off with John clicked a link because John got a phishing email, that's not sophisticated. Right. Ransomware is an outcome of an attack. The attack itself is usually a social engineering event to which I end up with malware on my box. It's not sophisticated if you send me a link and I click the link. So the problem for me is so many companies, and again, this just goes back to their marketing thing. You want to tell people in the press it was sophisticated. It wasn't. If you're going to rely on training your employees to prevent that, then you've lost the plot because that's never going to always save you because, because it's not that they're sophisticated. They're just more, they're just more realistic than your human ability to decipher that it's an attack. That's it. So for me, as you can tell, I get a little animated on this one because I'm animated because our company have made products and services for over four years that directly attack and prevent some of these attacks. My team in Adobe in 2017, we deployed stuff that would directly go after some of these attacks. So the reality is it's like, you know, you can say it's sophisticated all you want. I could contact 20 companies tomorrow that, that 
got breached because of these type of attacks and tell them, hey, we could have solved, we could have stopped that. You don't, you don't really know who we are. I mean, granted, you got to know who we are first, but you know, if you did know who we were and you wanted to spend some money, you would not have went through that breach because our stuff would have saved it. So it's, and I've, I've written blogs. I actually done a blog a couple of weeks ago and, and I try and avoid talking about the Banyan Kool-Aid stuff, but I decided I'll, again, go back to the whole notion of what's sophisticated. I decided, well, I want to write a blog about just how and where do we protect you, right? We'll get away from the buzzword bingo and stuff. Just let's talk about how and where would we protect what kind of attacks? And then obviously, which ones do we not protect, right? So I think I think some of that stuff is is uh, important for vendors to move away from buzzword bingo, stop worrying about what the analysts say because half the analysts are paid anyway. I mean, it's a pay to play. So a lot of these analyst things, there's there's criteria before you're leaving up here in a magic quadrant. How many employees? What's your revenue? Da, 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 right? And it's like, it's, it's nonsense. So I look at the problems we're solving, not the buzzword bingo, Dan, you, you have a lot to say, and you also are the podcast host of the Banyan Security Podcast called Get It Started, Get It Done. That podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. What's the significance of the name and, and how's, how's the podcast going? So I've got a reputation in the valley of getting getting done. And for me, that's a really important trait as, as a practitioner. Um so getting it started, get it done means you have to come up with strategies on how to get started and how to sell the vision. And then you actually have to make progress and you have to deliver the thing, right? And you have to deliver that in a context of business value. But I've been blessed over the years to have met a lot of really great people. And so for me, it was like, get that roller decks out, start to start pulling some of my contacts of people I've met before that I think are cool people. They're going to be interesting. They've got great stories, but then also some of our customers, you know, it's fun to talk to people, hear their stories and, you know, just, you know, talk about the industry and stuff. And ideally, you know, people take away some value from it. You know I mean? Every now and again, there may be a little nugget or a little gem, you know? Absolutely. Those are the exciting moments. Thank you so much for all your time. You've been super generous with it. Um, really, really fun speaking with you and, Good luck with everything. Awesome. Thanks, David. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Trust Issues. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question, comment, constructive comment, preferably, but, you know, it's up to you. Or an episode suggestion, please drop us an email at trustissues at cyberarc.com. And make sure you're following us wherever you listen to podcasts. 